570. In L.A. sports icon. Fred Rogan is here tonight. Decades on your television covering Los Angeles sports. Fred Rogan, huge in Los Angeles. The Dean. I'm the Dean. Fred Rogan. Weekdays before Petros and Money. A USC All-American. USC's Rodney Pete. An NFL quarterback. Absolutely perfectly delivered by Rodney Pete. Rodney Pete. It's available on the iHeartRadio app or on am570lasports.com. This is Rogan and Rodney. We continue on. Fred Rogan, Rodney Pete on AM570 LA Sports. Uh, later this hour, Rodney. Later this hour, something really special. Talk to me. We're going to spin the wheel. Ooh. Now, there are one, two, spin three, a wheel. four, five Maybe. stories on the wheel. Any one of the five stories could pop up. Okay. Okay. I don't know if we'll get to all five. Do you want to hear some of the stories yes. on the wheel? Yes, I do. Okay. I must. I must. Uh, there is the punch. That's on the wheel. The punch. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think I know what that is. Okay. Uh, another cheating scandal is on the wheel. Oh, Lord. Uh, let's see. Brandy Love Porn Star oh. is on the wheel. Oh, Lord. And the commissioner and the home run record is on the wheel. Okay. So what will happen is, at the bottom of the hour, Kevin will spin the wheel. And wherever the wheel stops, he will tell us what it stopped on, and that's what we'll cover at that point. Okay. All right. I like that. So we're going to spin the wheel. That's coming up at the bottom of the hour. But now we welcome welcome on the man who sat in the chair, one of our best friends in the entire world, a guy we look forward to talking to. It's playoff time. We're going to beg him to come on even more now. It's our pal, Ned Coletti. And Ned, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. The season's about to start. Yeah, that's what we were saying. All right, Ned, now you tell me what you think of this, because I said this when we started the show today. I said this is the time when everybody gets apprehensive and everybody gets concerned, no matter what the regular season was. Now you start to think, oh, what could go wrong? I said the Dodgers have some magic. Max Muncie is magic in the postseason. Cody Bellinger is magic in the postseason. Chris Taylor has been magic in the postseason. I said as you are concerned and apprehensive, just remember the magic on the roster. Does that make sense? I, I would say it's more than magic even. I think it's it's really the experience of being here. And there's going to be matchups in the next few weeks where you're going to have a young pitcher on the mound for somebody else. And you're going to have one of the many position players up for the Dodgers. And those are usually unfortunate matchups for the other team. So I think it's more than magic. I think they know what they're doing. I think they prepare for this. They're the hungriest team I can remember in any sport for a very, very long time. Maybe the Lakers back in the Showtime era and stuff like that, but maybe the Patriots when Brady was up there. But very few teams can can maintain the fierceness it takes to do what they've done. And every year, they're better than the year before. So I don't know how much magic they'll need. They got talent. Yes, they do have talent, and and I said this earlier, Ned, that it feels like there's every 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 year takes on its own identity, and this year it felt like uh, much like we we anticipated. When you look at this team on paper, they are a great great lineup, one of the best of all time in terms of their lineup and what they can throw at you offensively. And then you know, from a defensive standpoint and pitching staff, the beginning of the year they were fantastic. Obviously they lost some guys, guys got injured along the way, um, but still the staff has had an unbelievable year considering the injuries. Um, but it 
feels like the Dodgers season was a more of a business-like, Ned. Like they went out and handled their business. 111 wins is no is no thing. It's no easy feat, obviously. Uh, but it feels like more business-like that they just knew what they needed to do to go win, as opposed to you know having stretches where they were dominant. They were just they dominated most of the season. They dominated this opponent. Dominated. Um, and when you do that, you kind of lose a little bit of luster because it's not consistent because you can't always dominate. How do you feel or do you feel better going into the postseason as a team that is businesslike and are doing the things consistently all season long or that team that can be dominant in stretches? Well, I think as a, to your point, I think that the season is so long, you're going to dominate for a while, you're not going to dominate for a while. But I, I do believe that, and, and you, you at least inferred it. You know, I mean, this this team is so businesslike. There's a lot of franchises you go around either league. Yeah. They hang up division championship banners. Okay, yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen that in Dodger Stadium. Right? They got World so. Series yeah. championships, and so you know that that's the focus. Nearly what ninety five percent of these players have pitched in and big games in, in the month of October or played in big games in the month of October. So they know what it is. They know they got together in spring training back in February. Dave Roberts addresses the team and here they go. And they've got to go through the six months and get healthy and get fine tuned and certainly win their division, which you know, a year ago you know, was a game away from doing that for, you know, another year in a row. But I think that, that they're built to understand that. And the, and the, the, the the mental approach of this group, I think, sustains everything. And I don't know that there's any other team out there that has done that. Certainly players have done it on other teams periodically, but not collectively. And you're going you're gonna to see depth. You're going to see who's got the most depth, who's got the most experience, who doesn't blink. And, yeah, it is a bit, bit of a, a business type of situation because, yeah, do they get excited when they do the division? Yeah, sure, they're happy about it. But they won a division by, what, a month? Almost, yeah. you know, I mean, there were 20 some games up. So, you know, it's, this is a unique place in time for this franchise and for any franchise in, in professional sport. And yeah, they are businesslike, but they know that this is, this is the month that's going to write their history more than anything. Ned, when you were in the chair, you built Dodger teams. They went to the playoffs. The minute the regular season ended, uh, how did you feel? As a part of the organization, now getting ready for the playoffs, are you more apprehensive? Uh, are you anxiety-ridden? How did you feel? Well, I think it, it would really go down, not really how you played the last week or so, but how you played coming into it and really where your collective group is at. If you've got some pitching that's a little finicky, guys are pitching through uh, you know, soreness or, or potential surgery in the offseason, you know, it leaves you a little bit wary because you don't know what you're going to get. Um, but I think part of their, the beauty of the group is that they've had such a huge lead for such a long time. They can take care of that stuff in the month of September. They can kind of, you know, get, get people a little bit healthier than they would have been if they, if, than they would have been if they had had a play like games that counted on 160, 61, 62. So I think that I would always, you know, check in with trainers and, and make sure everybody was as good as they could be. Um, you get a little bit anxious, but you know what? I couldn't wait for it to start. It was like the longest days of the season were from the end of the regular season until the first pitch. And then you find out what you got. 
you know, they say in, in scouting, you can scout uh, two weeks straight on one team, or you can scout two playoff games, and you'll know more about that team in two playoff games than you will 10 regular season games. I couldn't wait for it to start. Yeah. And, you know, you get anxious, you go all, you know, you look through different windows as far as is this going to work, is that going to work? Get all your advanced scout, scouting put together. But I, just, I could not wait for that first pitch. Yeah, no, I hear you. And, you know, listen, nobody has a, a crystal ball. And to your point of the anticipation now, season's over with, let's get the playoffs here. And yet the Dodgers now have to wait to see who they, they're going to get a chance to play. Um, and sometimes, you know, again, no no crystal ball. Sometimes that works to your advantage and sometimes it doesn't. Is it any advantage you think to someone playing, okay, we've played our three games, now we're going into the next series as opposed to waiting around um, to seeing who you got to play and, and and maybe have a chance to get a little bit of rusty? I think, yeah, you'll, you'll take I, – I would take that chance. I would take the chance of having a little extra time off uh, especially with this group because they they understand the month better than any other team playing, and if you got you've got the Mets and you've got San Diego teams that are going to have to depend on pitching in order to not just win that series they're playing, but the series after it against LA, whoever prevails, um, I'd rather have the rest for the starting pitchers. You know, you got Scherzer and, and Darvish, I think, going in their first game. Well, that's you know that's one more game that they're both going to have to pitch just to get into the next round. So the more you're pitching pitches this time of year, the more the more chance you have of something not being executed as perfectly as it would, you know, back you know, a month or two back. And I think those two teams have, have grinded it out, especially the Mets have really grinded it out to, to you know play Atlanta and, and have what they have had happened to them in the last week. You know, I think it gives the Dodgers an advantage. I would rather take the week off and have guys fine-tune. These guys know what's at stake. They know how to prepare. You know, they've had an all-star break, so they've had like a, you know, a decent amount of time without a game. And in the meantime, you learn more about your two opponents. They can't learn any more about the Dodgers unless they're going to watch a video. But Dodgers can learn more about San Diego and the Mets in these next few days. But I'd rather keep your pitching and keep it as harness as you can and keep it as fresh as you can because you've got a long way to go yet. You know, you keep touching on pitching, Ned, and obviously if you look at the Dodgers, all right, that that's the thing. In a year where almost everything went right and one guy would get hot if somebody else was cold, uh, the pitching, you, you don't have Bueller. You don't know how effective Gonsolin will be. You don't know if Dustin May can make the roster, if he's really ready physically to go. What do you think of the Dodger pitching? Well, that is the one area that has got a little bit of concern uh, as I look at it. It it is a little bit concerning, and they've got a tremendous offense. An offense can obviously help your pitching, and your defense is good, so that can help your pitching. But they're going to have to get some key outs, and some guys are going to have to step up, especially I think it's important for the Dodgers to to get leads early and to continue to add on. You can't get a four-run lead in the first three or four innings and kind of sit there and think that's going to be enough. I think you have to continue to add on. All the games that we lost in key postseason games years ago, you know, it was really a matter of us getting the lead, but us not being able to build on to that lead. You have to build on the leads because the bullpen is still a little bit of, of, uh, of a dice roll. You, know, you don't necessarily know who's going to go, where, when, and how. And I think that, that you've got to give yourself enough leeway, enough lead going into the last third of a game 
to give yourself some breathing room to figure it out as you go. Tight games, tight games can go either way. And I think that you, you need to be able to take this offense, which is terrific, and continually have them build into the lead. Do not stop at four runs. Do not stop at five runs. Just keep on piling them up. And really, it, it kind of also psychologically takes your opponent out of the game if they're looking up at a seven, eight run deficit. You're looking up at a two or three run definite the deficit. All these teams can compete at this stage of the season. You know, they're not gonna they're not gonna really give up at that point in time and think, oh, you know, we got the game lost. They're gonna know the Dodgers bullpen situation too. So I think it's imperative that the that the offense adds as much as they can and if the defense picks the ball up and doesn't make any pitcher get more outs than they need. No, one hundred percent. Um Ned, you mentioned the Mets, you mentioned the, the, the Padres, and all roads go through Dodger Stadium. Um, but when you look at that matchup, who do you like uh, between those two? And then who's a better matchup for the Dodgers? Well, the Dodgers have really taken it to San Diego for quite a long time. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, I think that's a big hill for San Diego to climb, is uh, to figure out how to beat this team when they can't beat them, when the games mean hardly anything, so to speak. Uh, compared to now, uh, you know the Mets. You got Scherzer, an older pitcher, but you've got Scherzer and you got Degrom, and you, you've got a good bullpen there too. So, you know, if I hated doing this, and I would never. Scouts would ask me, so who would you rather play? <laughs> I'm, I, I don't really. I got nothing to do with it. They're going to whoever qualifies is going to show up, whether I like it or not. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would say that the the Mets would be a tougher battle than San Diego. Plus, playing in New York, you know, that's that's a different dynamic. Playing in San Diego is like playing in L.A. I mean, half the people are wearing blue. So, you know, that's that's a different dynamic. I guess New York would be the one that you'd – if you could stay away from one, you'd probably stay away from New York. That's so funny because we were talking about it the other day, and we both said, no, I'd, I'd rather see him play the Mets. Well, <laughs> that's why we talk sports. <laughs> that's hey, why we do uh, what we do, right? That's why we don't have that crystal ball. Otherwise, we'd be at we'd be at the track every single day, Ned. Exactly. I mean, Vegas could fly over and be a ghost town, right? You know? Looks a little bright even in the middle of the night. Yeah, baby. Know? Hey, Ned, when you were sitting in the chair, think back now to when the Dodgers were in the playoffs. Uh, what are the moments? What is the one moment that you went, yeah? That's the one I'll always cherish. I'll always remember. That was a great moment. And then a moment where you went, oh, God. That moment where uh, it's like you'd like to forget, but you can't. <laughs> oh, sounds question. like Freddie brought up some old wounds there, man. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I got more of that than I got the ones that I'll never forget on the good side. I think Juan Uribe's home run at the bottom of the eighth against Atlanta and that DCS in game four, uh, probably the biggest home run during my tenure there. Uh, we were down a run, had to go back to Atlanta to play game five if we get beat, and uh, and he wrapped it off. And Mr. Kimbrell, ironically, was standing in the Atlanta bullpen. Uh, that was probably the one that I remember with a smile. Uh, the other ones I don't rem- I remember as well, but not for the same reason. I think um, Clayton's inning against St. Louis, we had a, we're rolling along about the fifth or sixth inning, and we could not get anybody out, and the inning unraveled. Can't remember if that was thirteen or fourteen, um, but that was that was a rough, a rough inning right there. That that kind of turned the momentum in the other direction, and then of course uh, Matt Stairs in Dodger Stadium uh, against Mister Broxton, and then Matt Stairs walking against Jonathan Broxton a year later in Philly, 
And Jimmy Rollins hitting that triple that, that cleared the bases and also gave us a loss in game four of the LCS. Years later, I had never met Jimmy Rollins, okay? Years later, he's a Dodger. And we're walking down. I'm walking down the hall to go do TV, but a, a sweet section. He's walking the other way. He's just gotten into town. And uh, we kind of look at each other, and he starts walking you know, towards me and puts his hand out, shake hands, and he goes, Never said hello. He just said, I broke your heart, didn't I? And I said, yeah, you did. <laughs> but he, you know, he remembered it like I remembered it, only he smiled about it, and I said, yeah, thanks for remembering. Yeah. Yeah. But we lost to Philly two years in a row. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was painful stuff, especially because we had that game four, game five, different game with that. With that. But anyway, that, that's what happens. You know, the thing about the game, as much as you love it and, and you've lived it, It'll break your heart, too, Ned. The great commissioner, A. Bartlett Giamatti, wrote that. He was a Yale president before he became nationally president and the uh, commissioner of baseball uh, and became a good friend that died early in, in the office. And he said uh, the game was meant to break your heart. And, uh, and he's right. And luckily we have a, a lot of heart to break because uh, they have broken a lot of hearts. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Ned, we were also kicking this around about the, the, the depth of the Dodger lineup, and which is such a luxury to have and a testament to their farm system, scouting department, the way they run their business. It's been great. Uh, where's that fine line, Ned, of, of, of playing guys that uh, have done it for you in the past, that have come through for you in big moments, um, like the Cody Bellingers and Max Muncy's and even, even Chris Taylor's, when you're in the in the postseason, as you well know, it's a different animal, it's a different mindset. You got to have a, you know, your your blood your blood boils differently in the postseason. Um, those guys that have done it for you, um, even though they've struggled, how much faith do you continue to have in them going down and into the playoffs? Well, I think a little of of it depends on the matchups and who's you know. And you're talking about hitters here, yeah. you know, yeah. what, the, what the pitching matchups look like. I think that dictates a little bit, but you know what? I unless a player has is really gotten older and slower with their their swing and their their ability to make decisions in a timely fashion, if that's not the case, it, it's tough for me not to go with somebody who's done it, even if they're hitting two hundred or two twenty or they struggle. There, there's something about playing this time of year, and you you know that the moment is not too big for them. Do they have a great regular season to fall back on? No. But all you need in the postseason is three or four, two or three big hits, and you can write your own history. And I think I'd always go with those who I knew could do it, I knew had done it, especially if the pitching matchup was not so one-sided against them. I think I'd lean that way, especially if they're not you know, 35, 38, 40 years old, and you know that they're getting a little bit slower with their decision-making, with their fast speed and the recognition of pitches. So that's how I'd probably do it. Ned, here we go. We appreciate you coming on, and now the fun really begins. Oh, it's the best. Best time of the year. Right here. Right here. Ned, have a good weekend. We'll chat again soon. Okay. Anytime, gentlemen. Be well. National League Division Series begins this Tuesday at the stadium. Catch every Dodger playoff game in HD and the free iHeartRadio app, AM570 LA Sports. Stay healthy and strong. Get boosted. Visit myturn.ca.gov to find a booster near you. Python Pants, Brandy Love Porn Star, A Cheating Scandal, and The Commissioner. 
We'll spin the wheel next. Bro, yo, it's Cruz, J. Cruz, Cruz Show, Real 92.3. Shout out to my guys, Fred Rogan and Rodney Pete. Those are my guys, my guys. Hey! Don't nothing change but the change. We on your head like a bang. All double laws, no rain. Bitch, thing came with a name. Got all eyes on my game. 100,000 kiss the rain. Foreign exchange to change. Get ready for a great weekend, Rodney Pete. Fred Rogan on I Don't Care Friday. Let's go, baby. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, we have a number of stories that were interesting during the day, and uh, we couldn't decide which one to do, which one not to do. So we've bought a big wheel, and we put all the stories. Oh, look at that wheel. On this wheel. Damn, look at that wheel. And Kevin is going to spin the wheel. Where'd you get that wheel? Where'd you get it, Fred? Did oh, I got it from Props. You borrowed this from NBC? Yeah, I got it from yeah. Props NBC. Yeah. Wow, you stole it from Jay Leno. Yeah, I stole it. Yeah, if you go, if you walk in Toluca Lake by where I live, which I'm not telling you where I live, but I walk around there on the weekends all the time. Yes. Somebody actually has um, something from the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. It's a storage unit, and it says Tonight Show with Jay Leno. I don't know yeah. if they worked there and took it or bought it, and it's outside their house. Like as a decoration? Yeah, and I think they store stuff in it. It's probably something they used to keep props in. So one weekend I was walking by when nobody was looking. Yeah. I opened it, and I found this wheel. That's what I'm talking about, Fred. I grabbed the wheel and I ran. That's what I'm talking about, Yeah, Fred. and I had it at my house. Opportunistic. And then I brought the wheel in for today. I didn't realize you were so strong, Fred. It's a pretty big, bulky wheel. It is a big wheel. You put it on top of your head as you were running? I drug it. You I drug it, it behind me. I drug it. You know, I drug it on the grass, which caused a, a problem in the neighborhood. I'm glad nobody saw what I did to their lawns. Well, I guess I, if they're listening to the show, they know now. They know who did it. Take that out. Take it out of the podcast. Unfortunately, I can't take that out of live radio, Fred, but uh, sure, I'll, I'll cut that out for you. Take it out of the podcast. You said uh, isolated and tweeted out at Fred and me CLA, right? Yes. That's what you said, do? Yeah, that's what yeah. take it out of the podcast okay, means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. Kevin, are you ready to spin the big wheel? I am. Let's go. Here's Let's go. The first. Oh, Draymond knocks out his teammate. Draymond knocks out his teammate. Well, it was one thing to hear about it. <laughs> it was another thing to see it. It was another thing to see the video, which somehow was leaked. Somehow. Somehow was leaked because somebody wanted to make a point. Or maybe make a buck from TMZ. Somebody wanted to make a buck from TMZ. Somebody wanted to make a point. He hauled off and it just cracked him. Just cracked him. On the street, that's assault. You're yes, getting arrested. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, you're getting arrested. That's assault. And then he said, well, he had to apologize to his teammates. Yeah, I don't care, I don't care how many times you say you're sorry. You're not taking that one back, Rodney. No, you can't take that one back. Uh, and it was weird when you watch it because the rest of the team was kind of ho hum. That's Draymond and getting into it with somebody, and they all got their backs turned, and you know, and, and it you know felt like this has been going on for a minute in practice. Like they were jawing back and forth at each other, and yeah. it escalated. And and he casually walked over the pool and got in his face. You know what he did? It was like a Jacob and Ronnie commercial. Bam! He bammed him. <laughs> he bammed him. Yeah, I guess the story is that they were playing yeah. in a scrimmage and Jordan Poole fouled them hard and Draymond didn't appreciate it. But this was a little bit after that play. Jordan is just standing there. Yeah. Draymond gets in his face, like you said, Rodney, and, and Jordan Poole just kind of gives him a little shove. Man, hey, get out of my face. 
And Draymond just goes from negative one to a yes, thousand. Yeah. And just hauls off and punches him right in the jaw. Yeah, and he goes down. Yeah. Pool goes down. Yeah, he went down. The thing is, what are you gonna do? Trade him? No. How are you gonna punish him? Uh, you could find I, I think Bob Myers find said him. they were gonna handle it internally. All right, you find him, but you know, what's he make a year? It was the old Aaron Donald. We'll handle it inside our own wall. Twenty five million dollars. What's a fine gonna do? Yeah. Nothing. Depends well, on what you the Randy, fine is. You Randy Moss now, Fred? What's ten grand to me? Yeah, depends that, on what the fine is. What if they, what if they find him a million bucks? Well, that'll hurt. Yes, yeah, so it'll sting a little bit. Fred. Yeah, that 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 one. No matter yeah. how much money you have, yeah, that one but, will sting a little bit. But is it is it one of those things that listen that that can't happen if you're a teammate? No, it can't, Rodney. But I'm saying, what do you do? They're not trading him. I think maybe this video leaked out as part of his punishment, so people could see exactly what he did. Okay. You guys ready for another spin? Spin it. All right. Spin it. Okay. Oh, all right. Is that a python in your pants or are you just happy to see me? Wow. Okay. Is this the one? All right. Is this the guy, uh, the New York City man, who was trying to cross the border between U.S. and Canada where he had three pythons in his pants? What? Yeah, the guy had, right? Three pythons in his pants. He's 36 years old. And uh, he was trying to bring in uh, three pythons, Burmese pythons. They were injurious to human beings. He was stopped at the border. He could be sentenced to 20 years in prison. They were what to human beings? Injurious. What is that? It means a python, python could latch onto you and that'd be the end of you. Oh, I thought they were like they didn't they didn't attack or affect human beings. Well, now, apparently they do. They do. Yeah. It says a cause, yeah, likely to cause harm. So I guess this guy was uh, not threatened. So he, he climb on in. So he had these pythons in his pants. Yeah, trying to smuggle them into the country. Yes. How many pythons? Three. Three in his pants. Yeah. How big were the pythons? Like baby pythons? Tell you what. I'm assuming. You look at that guy. You think that guy's packing? Hey. Wow, Fred. Anyway, only you, only you <laughs> yeah. would think that. Well, I'm saying, Fred. my God, hey. Fred's only like, hey, you. what do you got down there? Hey, yeah. look at that guy over there. Only my you. God, are you only got a you. python in there? Kevin yeah, and I, do, I were not thinking that. Not you, at all. Not at all. Oh, please. Not Fred wants to do all. a segment on the dean's office on the guy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Come on in here, fella. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his penalty could be 20 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. Yeah, not worth it. Well, what's what? he going to do with the python? I don't know. That's the question. Is there like a black market for pythons or something? If there was, this guy was trying to capture it. I guess so. I'll tell you that. All right. Next spin. Okay. Oh, Brandy Love serves some Tom Brady. Porn legend Brandy Love? If you say so, Fred. Who? Brandy Love. Don't know her. Don't know her? Okay, move on, Kevin. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no. No. You can't move on. <laughs> so the deal is, uh, Brandy Love is a MILF porn legend, apparently. She's 49 years old. Okay. I mean, if you frequent adult films, you probably know the work of Brandy Love. Okay. Okay, now she understands that Tom Brady is going through a very difficult time. And she wants to ease his pain and relieve some of the tension. Yeah. So she has uh, reached out on social media and suggested that if Tom needs comforting, she's the gal to turn to. She'll be there for him. She reached out on social media? Yeah. And she's a well-known porn star? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dear say, Mr. Mc... Help you going through these tough times, I'll help you? Yeah, dear Mr. McDreamy. 
I'm genuinely sorry to hear about the divorce. It's probably the toughest thing for anyone of any financial situation to go through. If you need a lap to cry in or if you need any help relaxing, I can help. I thought about it for a long time. She added some other things that we cannot. No, we cannot say on the air for it. No, I have it in front of me. I don't think we should. No. Oh, boy. Talk about uh, her exploits in the West. No. Okay. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Next spin. Okay. Oh, chessboard cheater. Yeah, what is the deal with this? A 19-year-old chess grandmaster who's won hundreds of games, including one against the world's top-ranked player, likely cheated. Now, I, I don't understand this. Um, Hans Niemann defeated Magnus Carlsen. Magnus Carlsen's 31 years old, the world chess champ. Following the match, Carlsen said Neiman's skills were unusual and complained that he wasn't fully concentrating on the game. Investigators found no direct evidence of cheating. They did find many remarkable signals and unusual patterns. The probability of any single player performing this well across this many games is incredibly low. Now, Neiman, who was accused of cheating, did say this. He did cheat once in his life. After that, other than that, he was 12 years old. He has never ever in life cheated in a one-over-the-board chess game in an online tournament. He says, I'm saying my truth because I do not want any misrepresentation. I'm proud of myself that I learned from that mistake. I don't play chess, don't under, you know. I mean, do they have any evidence that he was cheating other than the fact that he's really good at it, Fred? No evidence. I mean, what they're saying is. Maybe he's just a phenom. Well, what they're saying is he's so good. He's so good, he can't be that good. He's so good, he can't be that good. Maybe they should stop hating and work as hard as he does. Well, maybe they should. But what? But the Grandmaster National World Champ said, you know, some of the things this guy is doing is irregular. I don't know how he could cheat. You're sitting there and you're watching the game. What could he be doing to yeah. cheat? And you're reacting a, to his move. Yeah, and if it's a major tournament, these guys usually have cameras trained on them so you can watch if they're doing anything suspicious. Well, I mean, what do they mean? The guy's got his hands in his lap, and all of a sudden, one of his pieces moves to the right real fast, and nobody saw. I mean, how do you cheat in chess? Uh, it's strange. Strange, because you're right. You react off to someone else's, your opponent's move. So what are you, moving pieces around the board and to a different spot? Yeah. And when the guy's not looking? Yeah, I, I have no idea. Maybe, like I said, maybe this grandmaster is afraid of losing his crown. Hey, if you know how to cheat in chess, call us. us. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, because we cannot figure out how you would cheat. And maybe you you play and you do know. And you could enlighten everyone. Yeah. Take an extra square when you're not supposed to, you know. However you do it. The night. However you cheat, call us and let us know. Uh, When we come back, something very, very important. Sadly, it affects so many of us. Uh, and the man that can talk about that is going to join us. Hey, Lisa Fox here. When not getting benched or thrown out of a game, they're on the radio with you. You're listening to Rogan and Rodney on AM570 LA Sports. Hello, hello. What's going on? It's uh, We Don't Care Friday. Anything goes on Friday, Anything. as you've heard already. 
When you hear Fred talk, you know anything goes. <laughs> Rodney P. Fred Rogan on a beautiful, beautiful Friday getting ready for the weekend. Let's right. go, Freddie. All right, you know, we're always thrilled. This guy pops in here once a year, and uh, he talks about something very important. And uh, it affects all of us, one way or another. Many of us have lost loved ones due to this. Dr. Stephen Foreman, City of Hope Cancer. Dr. Foreman, thank you. Thank you for coming in, as you do each and every year. It's a pleasure to be here with both of you guys. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. It's always good. to. How do you uh, age in reverse? That's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I know you do unbelievable work in the world of cancer and research and helping thousands, thousands of people. But how do you reverse that aging process? Because I, I need the secret on that, Dr. Foreman. Come on you now. Know, I work with wonderful people. They help me. We help them. You know, I take care of myself and I cheer for the Dodgers. <laughs> right. Oh, that's good. That helps. And USC that football. Helps. That helps as well. That helps as well. <laughs> Now, you got the big walk coming up uh, in, in November, right? So this is the Walk for Hope for yes. raising research money for women's cancers, which is really focused on breast cancer, ovarian cancer, cervical cancer, you know, the, the diseases that affect the important women in our lives. So um, what, I, what I've seen over the last 20 years is the changes that have come about from research that are making women live longer and better and without the toxicity of previous therapies that we used to have to do. So... It's never enough, you know. Whatever, whatever progress we make, we want to make it faster and better, and bring tomorrow's therapies to women today. You know, uh, Doctor Foreman, when I go to businesses and I see people that in businesses I frequent all the time, yeah, yeah, you know, I always say this: How's business? I always say that to people that, that run a business that work in a situation. How's business? You know, if I said how's business to you, sadly, you would say it's pretty good. Sadly, you would say business is good because we have a lot of people that we are helping and treating. How much further along are we now than we were, say, 20 years ago? So when I think back, because I've been doing this a long time, as right. you know, um, of, of what we're doing now and what we know now, what we can do now compared to 20 years ago, I'm, I'm very moved by what the field and what City of Hope has done to make that happen. You know, the sad thing, and I know you both can reflect on this too and your listening audience, is I think about the people I knew and took care of 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that had we known then what we know now, they'd be alive and listening to your show this afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, I lost my mom to cancer when I was young. So I, you know, I've dealt with it. I've, I've lost family members to cancer. And uh, when someone comes to you, they are looking for hope. Um, how much hope can you really give them? From my perspective, there's always hope it may be for different things sometimes it's hope for cure sometimes it's hope for extending life sometimes it's hope for just making people be able to live better with their cancer sometimes the hope is keep me alive so i can be around when my first grandchild is born or when my son gets married or my 50th anniversary so we focus on those those types of hopes for every life that uh, comes under our care and um so from my perspective, there is always hope, and that's embedded in our name. And when people come to us, it's for a certain type of care that focuses on who they are. But also people come because they know that we're doing things that we're not satisfied with yesterday's stuff. We want tomorrow's stuff today. That is incredible. When, when you were talking about, um, and it is, and it is, you know, a tragedy when you when you talk about people then and that if we knew 
than what we know now. Um, you know, it, it's incredible, which leads me to to making the point of how important the research and the things that, you know, you and City of Hope do because it's ever evolving, the research and, and, and new things that are out there and the importance of being able to continue the research. So donations and what you're doing to raise money for the walk. Talk about the importance of research and the importance of continuing to evolve in this world of, of helping patients uh, dealing with all types of different cancers. Yeah, so you make a, a very important point that nothing has moved forward were it not for research. And that research is paid for by people who donate money to our organization, the City of Hope, other places. And that money really is for new ideas to test and see if we can do something something better. Um, it's at the essence of it. But without research, everything stays the same. With research, things change. And the more research we can do, the faster we're going to go. Uh, we can dispense with what doesn't work and exploit what does work. And, you know, at City of Hope, it's a, it's a hospital. What's interesting about the place is that, as, as you were saying, it's a place where the only people who are there are doctors, nurses, and people with cancer and their families. And yet if you come into our place, you'd say, well, this doesn't sound like a cancer hospital. It's, there's laughter. There's joy. And I think, you know, between our oncologists and our, you know, the physicians who help us in radiology and pulmonary and ICU, um, they are all part of the effort to get somebody home to family and hopefully a better life having been cared for by us. Uh, Dr. Foreman, Dr. Stephen Foreman, City of Hope. All right. Everybody listening right now, and as I said at the top of this, one way or another, we've all probably known someone that has sure. battled cancer. All right, but then you actually look into the mirror because we always look at our own mortality. and go, what can we do? What should we do? What about us? What about checkups? What about eating right? What, what can you say to people who don't have cancer and don't want to get cancer? What should they do? So... For sure, their lifestyle changes, and the obvious ones are smoking and drinking. Uh, that should be, you know, reduced, eliminated in some circumstances, as reducing risk. Um, obesity is another issue uh, for cancer risk, um, but also screening, and I think that's what's improving. So obviously, we focus on mammograms for women, PSA tests for um, for men, and colonoscopies for men and women. Even at an earlier age, I would question the two of you to be sure that you've had your colonoscopy if you're over the age of 45, um, because that's a way of picking up a cancer that would be curable at its earliest stage. And what we're working on are blood tests that could be done that could pick up the early stages, the early evidence of cancer in the bloodstream that would make you say, you know, we got to go look for it. And God willing, it's at an early stage where we can say, you know, we detected it. We did something about it, and you're cancer-free. That's the holy grail for what we want to do. Much like anything, as you mentioned, you know, early diagnosis, early testing, I mean, that 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 is the key to a, a preventing a lot of things. And you mentioned uh, colonoscopy, especially for men. You said uh, men normally and women. We, think about, we think about age 50 is okay, that's the time. But you're saying even earlier than that. And right? the reason for that is, is that it's been observed that – Colon cancers age is starting to get younger and younger. Hmm. And so the idea is to do a colonoscopy earlier to pick up that precancerous lesion, remove it, and so it doesn't turn into cancer. And so we've been on a campaign to get this done earlier, and I, I, if you, if, I appreciate the voice you're giving us to make that plea oh, yes. to go to their doctors. 
one thing I think was implied in what y'all were talking about also had to do with this last three years, namely that people delayed going to see the doctor, not just for screening tests. They didn't go when they had symptoms. And by the time we saw a lot of people during this pandemic, the disease had already advanced to a stage where the challenge to getting them well was even harder. So the pandemic had a bigger impact, not just on people getting pneumonia from COVID. It really delayed them going to the doctor and it affected a lot of other diseases like cancer too. So we are encouraging people to get back into the system, get screened, chase down symptoms. That's what doctors and nurses are for. Uh, Dr. Foreman, as we wrap it up, for anyone that might be battling cancer right now, and you talked about hope, what would you say to those people? If, if they have cancer, they're listening to us right now and they're battling it, what would you say to them? I'd say they should be reassured that we, and like a lot of my colleagues around the city and around the country, we get up every day to do something better for people like them. We have clinical trials that, you know, if, if, if your therapy's not working, give us a call and see whether there's a trial we have that might provide better therapy, more hope for you. But there's not a day that goes by that myself and my colleagues don't get together to figure out what are we going to do today to make things better for everybody who comes to us. Dr. Stephen Foreman. Oh, City of Hope. Giant Dodger fan. Just looking at you. I got hope. (laughs) Giant Dodger fan. And we expect, now we talked about it before we went on the air. We expect to see you out at a playoff game. I expect to see you guys there, and I expect to go cheer for my team, my organization, you know, the Dodgers for sure. Okay, and of course SC football. Course, they're they're coming along, of course, Rodney. Of course, you know, we're back, baby. They're sneaking up. We're back, but, baby. Uh, <laughs> we're back. Let's go. Yeah, but I'll tell you that, uh, and I know I've talked to people that Dod- they know a lot about this too. But you go out at, at the city of Hope. If you guys came out there, you would say this looks like Dodger Town. Yeah, a lot of hats, a lot of shirts, because I think the, the Dodgers add a certain hope for our patients also just by their very existence and they, they listen to the games they talk about the games it's part of the banter that goes on in the clinic so i i i, I can step back and see the impact that just the simplest thing like a baseball game has on them and so we are grateful for what they help us do too fantastic thanks for stopping by dr foreman thanks Doc. it's great to see both of you it really is all right we'll have spirituality top of the hour uh and we're going to break down the rams and charger games during the next hour as well. We are? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Listen, Tomorrow, the undefeated 18th-ranked Bruins are back in the Rose Bowl playing host to the 11th-ranked Utah Utes. Countdown to kickoff begins at 10 a.m. right here on the home of the Bruins. Undefeated! AM 570 LA Sports.